getting together and that rocky start that they had and then now their marriage and their parenthood and how much they still love each other and I just thought that that conversation was really sweet and really it was sweet it was endearing and it was something that couples don't do enough and I just think that it was really it was a meaningful conversation that a lot of couples avoid um, a lot of couples deep in relationships get get just in the routines of things and just kind of lose sight of reconnecting and continuing to connect and so I thought that that was a great way for them to show how important that is mm-hmm. yeah yeah I know um yes definitely like an unpopular opinion to, to have loved that um I know ba- Bachelor Nation was not was sort of like why are they here yeah. uh, um and and again for those of you non non-bachelor uh viewers um Ashley and Jared met in Bachelor in Paradise season two we're now at Bachelor in Paradise season seven so they're They've been like really peripheral from the franchise for for quite some time, but they they did have kind of like a rocky road to dating, and now they're married. They have a baby, a, a newborn, and they own a business together, and so their relationship is really really grown. and And I, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I appreciated really watching them talk about like how differently Ashley, in particular, who was laser focused on Jared from the minute she knew about him and like in my opinion and or, or assessment and kind of like watching it back back then is she just really wanted Jared to like her and like really wanted to be perfect for Jared to like her and so she wasn't really totally herself and we hear her saying like you know I never could have um like done the things I'm doing now in front of you mm-hmm. then and I thought that was that was such a like very relatable moment in just growing more comfortable and more secure in yourself and your relationship over time. Um, I also thought it was, like, so relatable that they're, a, like, a relatively new new married couple and they have a new baby and they just kept, like, hitting on, like, they haven't had so much time together as husband and wife that their roles have really become more about being mom and dad. And that is so relatable to to a couple that's recently had a baby and – uh, or just has kids in general. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I also was kind of thinking about what you were saying. A- Ashley said something really great. Um, one of her strengths has been appreciating what she has while she has it. And it does seem like she recognizes like those moments to really lean in and, and talk about and appreciate their relationship. And that's kind of a great recipe to stay in love, so to speak, like that you continue to build those connections, build on the connections that you have really intentionally and yeah, I, I kind of loved it, too. I brought you in. <laughs> Catherine convinced me. <laughs> I did. I actually had to write to Amy and be like, no, this is why it's so great. You don't understand. <laughs> yes, she converted me. Um, so, so yeah, I, I loved that. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of others, but why go don't ahead. you go ahead okay. and you, you share one. Sure. Um, so mine is mine are kind of smaller moments that I – I thought were, you know, one of the things I've shared is that I like Bachelor in Paradise because it feels so representative of, like, modern dating or or dating especially with apps and social media and things like that. And and I was thinking about the... the scene, I guess, when Aaron was watching Genevieve kiss Justin. And Genevieve and Aaron had just gone on a date 
had had what seemed to be like a really great time, good, great connection, great conversation. They made out a little bit, seemed to seemed to really enjoy each other. And then mm-hmm. Genevieve, um, for reasons I'm, I'm unclear on, I, I guess to just check in with Justin, it was his birthday, uh, had gone over and and just chatted. And then she ended up kissing him and Aaron was just watching this happen and he wasn't moving and I I was kind of thinking like dude like kept watching leave why why are you doing this why are you doing this to yourself and um it just kind of reminded me of it reminded me of social media and how we don't all we're not all privy to maybe what our what our like people were dating or maybe people we were previously dating are doing like we don't get to view them on a beach 24 <laughs> 7 we don't get to look in a crystal ball <laughs> right except with social media that is one way that we can maybe still stay up to date on on what whether it's people that we're currently casually dating are doing um or people that we previously dated are you know following exes on social media like there's such a temptation to do that and just see what's going to happen, but it is so unhelpful, and yet it is such a thing. And so that that felt like social media in real life. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally was. He really was just standing by as if he was continuing to follow Genevieve on or or you know her story. Uh, yeah, look at her story and see what she's up to. And and yeah, no, you're so right. It was just this this moment where he was just kind of, yeah, torturing himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was my mini moment. Another mini moment that I wanted to point out was this cute dynamic that started to grow between Jacob and Jill mm-hmm. and that it didn't seem like it was there in the be- in the beginning. All of a sudden in this, ep- in this episode or this week, it was like, oh, they're, they've been getting along and, like, they've been into each other. Um... And they started out their date that was a very intimate type of date. Um, they started out really silly and they were playing and that was really working for them. It was kind of like coming out of the beach where they were being really silly. They were being really playful. Um, and then it got to a point where it got a little more intimate between them. It got a little more um, a little more serious. But I just wanted to point out the value of that, the play and the laughter and how important that that is in a relationship. Um, I think a lot of times, especially in this show, people are really like leaping into the seriousness and getting into like the depths of vulnerability and all that. But like then they lose sight of how great all this other playful, really, really important stuff is too. And yeah, so I just found that refreshing and um yeah, no, that's such a great point. Like, I think especially, you know, w- with dating, it can feel like let's get down to business. Like, are we a match or not? Like, are we dating or not? And you can lose sight of of that, the, the relationship building piece that can be rooted in joy and playfulness and laughter. And at the same time is also a way to be really vulnerable with someone. We, we talk about that a lot as therapists, that that joy and vulnerability are actually like two of the most vulnerable emotions that you can have, that you can share with someone. And so being able to put yourself out there to be totally in the moment and laugh, that's that's so meaningful and like a great building block for 
a relationship that's you know based in vulnerability but in a different way that's not about sharing kind of like a deep story which is how we see vulnerability portrayed on the show often absolutely yeah you got another yes all right so um I was I was kind of thinking about the concept of good on paper so to speak um because I I think in dating and we saw it play out that when someone is kind of considering like who they might want to date they might have kind of a a mental list or maybe like an actual list of attributes or qualities some of which are superficial that they are looking for in a partner or there might be reasons that a particular person or type of person makes sense to date and that doesn't always play out and and so I was thinking about the interaction between Lace and Rodney where they were kind of having a a conversation about you know what's your type and that's such a like hard question to answer I think Rodney said like you (laughs) without knowing her which I thought was Mm -hmm. funny um and then Lace kind of listed off you know I'm I'm really looking for someone who's six feet or over and plays golf and okay like I could understand why playing golf might be helpful I mean golf takes up a lot of time um and so like it might be nice to have a so shared, she wants to kick him out might be nice to have, but maybe it's a shared hobby yeah. yeah maybe maybe she knows she'll have like a weekend day to herself because golf takes many hours. I don't know. There's a lot of dedication and I don't know. So she's cooked up some idea of what it means to be six feet and a golfer. Exactly. And exactly. And um, and so I thought that was like, like such a funny moment, but also like kind of a relatable moment of, yeah, we might we might concoct these ideas about what might make a person a match for us that we don't know. We don't know where they're rooted in, but sometimes that can like put blinders on uh, where we might not pick up on someone in front of us who might actually be a good match who might not also be six feet and not a golfer Um, but we also see it kind of play out between Andrew and Teddy and they on each of their seasons were like the sweethearts of of their their seasons and I know I said before we're gonna like kind of leave out like social media bachelor franchise Mm -hmm. but Um, part of what is true is that there was a lot of talk like amongst Bachelor Nation of like oh my gosh these two should get together they'd be so great they're both adorable and and I think they had both gone on separate podcasts and said like I'd really love to meet Andrew or I'd really love to meet Teddy and so there was all of this like hype around them meeting and like such a good on paper uh, like example they're like both beautiful people beautiful personalities like it seemed like it should work everybody wanted it to and they tried but the chemistry just wasn't there Mm -hmm. and I really respect Teddy and that she was able to say like something's missing here and and I I need to like leave and or, or leave this relationship rather than kind of staying in it and making it work um, and that's really hard to do, especially when it feels like it's the They're right checking thing. All the checking all the boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that that was another one of my mini moments. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like thinking that you have this this list, this checklist, and thinking thinking up what this person's like, and then you actually have maybe potentially have the opportunity to meet that person, and then it kind of can catch you off guard if you're 
thinking like, wow, I, I really thought this was going to work out. Wow, I really thought that this was going to be a good match. Mm-hmm. I have to say, this this new schedule is like messing with my sleep. It's past my bedtime. Yeah, I'm like getting ready for bed and commercial breaks. <laughs> I know, I know. Yes, I know. I had a couple more, like, mini moments, too, but I think I want them to play out a little bit more before I give my therapist perception. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Well, we'll, we will be back next week with more reactivity TV moments, but let us know if you like the shorter format. I know we've usually picked one one kind of moment each, and we've dived a little bit more into it, and this week we did a little different, so let us know what you prefer. All right, right, so our main topic this week is therapy, and we're two therapists. (laughs) And and so there's a lot that we wanted to talk about, like you were saying at the beginning, that there's so much to think about, consider, explain uh, when it comes to therapy, because even though it's like widely known, question mark, Mm -hmm. um, there's, it also kind of feels vague and elusive when, when like you're talking to someone about like what therapy is and so we wanted to kind of break it down this week as a as as with most of our topics at this point like as a beginning of a discussion yeah yeah so first we'll we'll get into a little bit about what it is um and then kind of like how we work as therapists how we got into this work why um and then what to expect and how to prepare for it and um kind of just common questions and common things that people think about when starting therapy. So what even is therapy? What is it? Well, and and that's the thing that's so funny about it is it can be so many things depending on what somebody's going there for. But so we wanted to talk about some things that are common no matter what somebody might be going to therapy for, Mm -hmm. Um, which it being just a safe place to talk about um, and process and learn insights and uh, learn about your behaviors and relationships and roles and it's a it's a learning environment really mm-hmm. um, and and a place to practice mm-hmm. which I think is something that we like to highlight a lot yeah yes and and I um, I, I like that as as like a framework too because so much of maybe what might bring someone to therapy is wanting to understand something more or maybe, um, change something or do something less and yeah therapy because um, because of the nature of therapy because it is safe and because it is with another person it gives a really good opportunity to practice those things in therapy um, because it's such a safe space and like unfortunately at this time anyway we can't necessarily give someone like a dose of what it is that they are looking for, um, but we can provide opportunities for them to practice the things, to build the skills um, in order to maybe lean into their lives in the way that they want to. Right, and I think that what's similar, and at least I know that the way that you work, the way that I work, is that it's not this place where we're just handing out tools and handing out skills and handing out, like, like so when you say dose, it's like somebody's not just coming to make and, and, and expecting to get something like okay I'm coming I'm coming here to get this tip from my therapist get this piece of advice from my therapist like we don't do that we don't mm-hmm. just do these things that are going to be quick fixes because that's not what therapy is therapy is this long game of you really you as the client really learning how to l- learning what 
might need to shift in your life and learning how to develop that yourself because that's that's where you're going to have lasting change. It's not when somebody tells you what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Um, and it wouldn't be fair for us to give advice because uh, all advice, whether it's therapist advice or, or advice in your personal life, is based on someone's own experience. And that might not be at all accurate or all relevant to what your unique experience is. And so it's dangerous to give advice. Um, and it's not, it doesn't necessarily like stick because um, then you don't have any ownership over, over what it is that you want to do next or you haven't kind of come to any awareness or realizations about why you might do something a certain way or not. Um, and so it's really when it's based in your own awareness and your own insight and your readiness to apply those insights that like true lasting change can happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like you said, like that's kind of like the most general <laughs> yeah, it's pretty broad. Idea of what therapy is um, because there are t- like so many different therapists, so many different types of, of therapy, ways to engage in therapy, so many reasons people seek therapy. But as a general sense, yes, that, that's a good, I mean, just a, a safe place to process and talk about your experiences and, um, and practice. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you're going to this place to figure out a map. You're not given the map. Mm. That makes sense. Yes. Which I think is a big misconception about what therapy is or what a therapist's job is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so one of the things that I always think is so cool um, and Revive is such a great representation of this is that like all of us are like we have like over similar ish trainings which we'll get into but we all work really differently and so even though we might see the same like um like a type of like a person from a similar demographic or age range or reason for seeking therapy we all do it very differently and so I think that's important to also highlight that each therapist is really really unique and um, and might come from different training, um, have a different lens, have a different style, have a different approach. And so finding the right fit is really, really important. And so I, j- I want to also say that um, to let you know, if you haven't had a positive experience in therapy, not all therapists are, are the same. And so I also wanted to like throw that out there for people to keep in mind that if you've had one bad experience, that doesn't mean... Um, the next one will be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, even just going off of that, so there are clinical social workers, there are marriage and family therapists, there are um, mental health counselors, there are professional counselors, there are clinical psychologists, clinical psychologists, um, more, more, there's more, (laughs) so many. Um, And I'm an, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I, I can work with a client in just the same way as a licensed professional counselor can work with a client or an LCSW can work with a client. Um, I think, like, even with some of these letters that people get confused as to, like, well, who should I go see? And honestly, it's, it, it really doesn't matter, mm-hmm. to be honest, um, because it, it's really just about you finding the right fit for you. And that's not 
the letters behind somebody's name. I'm, I mean, of course, making sure that they're a professional, <laughs> but um, the actual professional, um, you know, background that they have, uh, letters that they have, mm-hmm. is less, uh, like, play, plays less of a part in whether or not you should see that particular one versus another. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a really good example is, is like your, your specific degree of marriage and family therapy mm-hmm. that while you can work with um, people in couples therapy or you can and, and, and do work with families, that doesn't mean that people only see you for couples therapy or family therapy. You also work with individuals as well. And alternatively, I'm a clinical social worker, but that doesn't mean that I can't work with couples and families. I also have and also do, um, and I also work with individuals. And so it really does come down to, again, the individual therapist and what their training has been and what their skills and their interests are, their competencies. Right. And and so, yeah, to try to not narrow it down by the letters after a person's name, mm-hmm. um, that will that will give you more options of who to work with. So why did you pick MFT? I I picked MFT because originally I thought that I only wanted to work with couples. I thought that um, I really wanted to do marriage therapy, and I thought that that was the logical route because that's what it says, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but like, so then through some more research, I I found oh um, this program. I went to Fairfield uh, University and they had a program that was very systemic based, which basically, for those of you that don't know that, uh, what that is, it's um, it's a framework where you look at the person in the context of their system. So in their family system, their role that they play, their, um, their relationships with their family, the patterns that, that go on with their family. It, it really is very uh, systems based so it's really about the person in a greater context rather than um, maybe like a, a psychodynamic approach that's very uh, person-centered and uh, more about their their background and their their life story uh, you know and things like that so that's really what drew me to it was because I really do see people in that context seeing them as more than just one one an individual because we don't live in a vacuum we are constantly interacting with people whether it's the system that they um, are a part of directly uh, the family that they grew up with or the family that they create or the friends that they have or the work environment that they're in or um, so many more Mm -hmm. so that's why Mm -hmm. I went that way Mm -hmm. and so your your perspective in the room is from that more systems perspective so you're as you're saying, you're if you're working with an individual or a family or a couple, you're thinking about them and the and the, the other context of, of who's in who's in their life or what influences they those people have on their life and vice versa. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. How about you? How'd you choose LCSW? So yes, I'm a clinical social worker and I knew and I'll get into this later, but I knew I wanted to be a therapist. And initially, I thought I wanted to be like a clinical psychologist. And the more I kind of like dug into what that looked like, the more I realized that doesn't actually align with what I'm looking to do. It also is like a lot more school, um, just the practical matter of it. But I, I stumbled across social work. I was a psych major and stumbled across social work as an elective and was really drawn to 
um, just the values of social work, um, that it's so rooted in advocacy and social justice. Um, and it, it's really broad in terms of like where you can work. And so I uh, applied to um, graduate school with a clinical within a clinical program at New York University and um, and I loved that and it's so interesting whenever like um, I hear you talk about systems like we we think in a systems lens too but our systems are even wider so micro micro, Mm -hmm. macro and meso system so really thinking about how the individual is affected by those kind of like middle tier systems like school and, and things like that and then the larger systems like policy level things laws uh like uh, just greater greater context which i think is really fascinating and i also kind of love the idea that um things can you can create change on an individual level that can impact a larger a larger scale level that like for me feels so inspiring and um, and why I was drawn to social work and trying to figure out ways to make change on that micro level um, uh, like that can trickle up to the macro level and I know within like I said like within our our different uh, degrees there are like all sorts of misconceptions about what it means for you to be an MFT marriage and family therapist and what it means for me to be a social worker and so I guess what I would say is like uh, do your research mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um, uh, you know social workers I think get a, a bad a bad rap or like um, or not a bad rap but like kind of like too narrowly focused in terms of or the view of them is like too narrowly focused in terms of what they do and who they work with and, and again, try not to let the, the letters after someone's name be, um, be, be a deterrent, so to speak, um, from working with them. You know, working with a therapist is so relationally focused, meaning the relationship that you have with your therapist is so important and so meaningful. That, for us, I think whether it's us, you, and me, and mm-hmm. us as Revive, like, I think we believe that the relationship is the vehicle through which any kind of change or progress can happen. And so that's what matters, first and foremost, Yeah, in our opinion. Mm-hmm. So let's start to talk about what people can expect and get, ooh, get in going to therapy. Yes. Um, so I think one of the expectations that isn't always accurate is that um, you feel, like, so much better after going to therapy. Um, yeah. And while that might be true, I think it's more accurate to expect that you might have a range of feelings and, and experiences while you're in, in therapy and after therapy, that there will be some days that you that you go in and you're feeling, you know, like really distressed and you and then you talk talk it out with your therapist and then you leave and you feel amazing um, or just a relief. And there are other days that you might go in feeling okay, and then you might unpack something in therapy and you leave a little, like, ugh, that was really hard. And so I, I think to, to, again, like, expect to have a, a range of feelings in therapy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it can, and, and you're right, it can go either way. Mm-hmm. And, and to kind of go into it without an expectation of how am I going to feel after this, but mm-hmm. just sort of letting it happen mm-hmm. as it as it happens mm-hmm. yeah also um it's really hard mm. so understanding that like it's a lot of work to do that work with your therapist to do that work 
yourself outside of therapy. And so just expecting for it to be hard, um, expecting for it, you know, you, you go to that therapy session for, you know, 45 minutes an hour, however long you're there. And, and that time is work. And then whatever you're applying into your everyday life, whether it's just the different parts of your life you start to notice because you started to talk about them in therapy um, or or even something greater than that, that things are going to begin to shift and that in itself is is work. I mean, it is, it, it is challenging mm-hmm. like to make any sort of change or to, to maybe learn things about yourself that you weren't expecting. Like it, it is hard and, and so much of what we like do in therapy or help clients do in therapy is learn things or maybe unlearn things. And that takes time. So I think that's the other piece yeah. of it. Um, I know you mentioned this at the beginning, is that like it's not a quick fix, so to speak. I mean, there are definitely like more time limited therapies and 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 whatnot. Um, but but for the most part, in order again to create lasting change, it takes time. And um, and so to expect that that after three sessions, if your original reason you um, started therapy isn't resolved, well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and to be patient, it is a it is a process. It's mm-hmm. such a cliche thing to say, yeah. but it is a process, um, and it's a it's a process that that actually like was designed. That's what we learn in school about the therapeutic process in order to kind of carry in individuals or families or couples like along a journey mm-hmm. <laughs> that feels that feels safe and paced well and productive to what their goals are. Um, and, and so I guess as I'm saying that, I think the other thing that's really important in terms of expectations for therapy is that the first bit of it, the first, whether it's two to five sessions or maybe more, um, are really just about getting comfortable. Um, maybe you're, you're sharing more of like the, your background, more about your history, more about your goals, um, and you're trying to get a feel for your therapist. And so like, know that is a part of it too Mm -hmm. right building the relationship Mm -hmm. absolutely and then you as the client are responsible for bringing the content bringing whatever it is that you want to talk about want to work on want to learn about to therapy Mm -hmm. um sometimes sometimes clients might come in and say like i'm not sure what to talk about today and that's it's pretty common too, um, and your therapist can help direct, like bring a direction. But um, you, you really are 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 the in the driver's seat. So you're really um, the one that needs to bring uh, bring up certain things because we don't know you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we like we said before, we we can't just dish out advice because you're the expert in your life. Um, and we are, we're just, we're just there with you for that ride. Um, so being that you are that expert, being that you do know yourself the most, um, the best way that we can work together is for you to let us in and bring up whatever it is that you feel like is needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really important. I, 
um, I do notice, especially maybe people have never been to therapy before, it, it is it can feel like really awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's another thing to expect that therapy can be awkward. Yes. <laughs> um, but it can be really awkward to know, you know, how how much should I share? When should I share it? How much do you want to know? Is this too personal? Um, all of that stuff. And, and I think it, it is something that you can talk to your therapist about. And ideally, when you meet a therapist for the first time, they'll give you an idea of what to expect in terms of um, maybe the way that they work, like how collaborative they are, or maybe they are a little bit more directive, or maybe they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they just want you to, to show up with no agenda. So so a therapist will let you know what to expect. and um, But ultimately, therapy is about what you put into it. Um, you know, there, there are definitely times that, like, I, I want to, I want things <laughs> for the people that I'm working with that, that they might not be ready for yeah. or might not want themselves. Um, and so a lot of it is, a, as you're saying, kind of like you, you, you direct it, um, you drive the ship. And, um, and that, I think, is really, really important. So, I mean, you kind of mentioned a little bit with how it's awkward, and it can really be awkward at first. You're, you're talking to a complete stranger, um, and I, I certainly love to normalize that as, as much as possible when first meeting with clients. Um, another thing to prepare for and kind of, like, expect is that there's going to be some silence, um, and that silence can feel a little awkward at first, too, but a lot of growth and a lot of learning and a lot of um a a lot can come of those silences so we are used to sitting in the silence um you may not be uh but those silences are really impactful Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and if you do notice the silence come up in the in therapy like try to pay attention to where your mind goes or where your thoughts go or why that silence might be there um, that can give so much insight and information about like what what you're what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Uh, yeah, it's it's really informative, mm-hmm. and maybe also a good thing to practice. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, another another thing to kind of prepare is is like to not prepare. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, sometimes coming in with and some sort of agenda, is, an agenda is helpful. Other times, it's okay to not come with anything. Um, and sometimes the m- most helpful sessions are uh, are when you don't have a specific agenda or something on your mind that um, it just happens in the session. Mm-hmm. Those are my favorite mm-hmm. sessions when when we're just kind of talking about like, What's, what's top of mind? What's on your mind right now? What's on your mind this week? Because I, I think sometimes like an agenda can kind of get in the way of, of maybe doing like some deeper work. Of course, come come with things that you want to address. But um, I, I find that like, you know, some people will come in with like 10 items, like let's hit all these. And it's like, well, hold on. <laughs> wait, wait. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that that's really like something to consider too is is what what your preparation for therapy looks like um and in order for you to get the most out of it and sometimes getting the most out of it is trying not to be so productive with it yeah and then another way to 
get more out of therapy is to begin sort of processing things outside of the work, um, begin to... No, I'm just <laughs> laughing because, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what um, Yeah, no, it's... It, uh, sometimes people think that coming to therapy is enough. Um, you know, checking checking off that, that thing on your schedule, the one hour is enough. Um, but it's, it's so much more than that, and that's why we emphasize that it's work, that you are the way that you can get the most out of it is when you begin to reflect on yourself um, outside of the therapy room, you know, your, your roles and your patterns and, um, and different events and different people in your life and different behaviors that you have. So that's where the work comes in too because you all of a sudden become that much more aware of things that maybe you weren't paying attention to before um, and that can get really tiring. So something to help you get the most out of it is to do that outside of the session. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge one. Um, like, while having, like, a weekly 45-minute session can can be tremendously helpful, there's only so much that that can really do, like, again, in, in the long term, if, if you're not kind of taking the insights that you've achieved in session and and kind of like seeing where they fit in in your life um yeah that's that's it um another thing I guess whether it's expectations or how to get the most out of it is that attending your sessions regularly consistently is um is really helpful it's helpful to you it's really important um again like we like so much of our work is based in relationships and in order to build and maintain a relationship we talked about this on our friends episode um like staying staying consistent um staying in in communication keeping keeping to your commitment is is really important keep it's a commitment to yourself mm-hmm. and um and so the the best work comes when you're consistent and um and and i i guess along with that like even going like if you've had a good week so to speak like keeping your therapy appointment is because that's when you're going to have those sessions that we're talking about mm-hmm. where maybe you don't come in with oh you won't believe what just happened or or um like itching to say something that sometimes those are the really the best sessions mm-hmm. yeah yeah therapy can be super helpful to kind of navigate help you navigate like a tough time mm-hmm. and um when things are like going okay and going going well, that's a time to like really like dig into some stuff because you're not managing through like kind of the the crisis of the week, so to speak. Um, so I I think that's definitely a way to continue to get the most out of therapy because again, if you're if you're only going when things are bad, um, you're maybe not as consistent, and I think that like also gives maybe a bad uh like perception of like what therapy is is really for and when it can be beneficial Mm -hmm. you don't need to just you don't need to go to therapy when when things are are wrong you're not broken like nothing needs to be fixed um like engaging in a consistent regular relationship with therapist 
in, in and of itself can be really healing. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that you don't just need to go and things suck. Right. And, and even, I mean, it seems like what you're saying is like, if you're only going to, if you're like definitely going outside of those, um, those times where you feel like you're in more of a, like a crisis mode. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're only going at those times, it's really just keeping you afloat, keeping your head above water. Whereas if you're going regularly, if it's more preventative, then you're you're not just staying afloat. You're, you're doing the butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, also expect that your therapist will probably use a lot of analogies. Guilty. <laughs> but but it is true. I mean, like when when if you if you remain consistent when things are, are okay or things are steady, you you then build like another layer on top of your foundation. You build a greater resilience for the next time or you can be more proactive for the next time that things will inevitably get stressful again. And yeah, we're we're a big we're a big fan of, of continuing of, of continuing therapy. Right. Um, and then there's how to know when your therapist is a good fit, or how to find a therapist mm-hmm. that's a good fit. Right. Right. Well, because I mean, the the way to get the most out of therapy is to have a quality therapy experience, and that has so much to do with who your therapist is or what your relationship to your therapist is. Um, Because while, as we're saying, like so much of it is about you and what you you bring and and where you want to go, like you still need a good partner. You still need a good good person to ride shotgun, Mm -hmm. um, even though you're doing the driving. And, and yeah, so, so figuring out what a good fit therapist is, is for you is, is important. So, so yeah, how do you, how could you know, like what makes a good, a good fit, do you think? Um, I mean, a few things, a few criteria for sure. Um, but of course that they're, um, you know, as committed as you are, right? Like you're showing up, you're showing up on time, they're showing up, they're showing up on time. They, um, respond in a timely manner, um, they're they're present like they're they're there with you but they're also present they're not distracted um they ask obviously that you're not distracted so they also shouldn't be distracted either um with whatever that may be like if if you're if you're in teletherapy sessions um you know literally having distractions around um if you're in person of course they don't have their phone with them or you know they're not distracted with with things outside outside stimuli um and canceling um that they don't cancel with you often of course and, and you may notice some of these things are just reciprocal um so your therapist doesn't want you to cancel because they want you to um be committed to the work and committed to what you're getting out of this and that means showing up and so you showing up and them showing up so of course mm-hmm. that there's somebody that's not going to cancel in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many times when I hear, like, from prospective clients that the reasons that they're looking for a new therapist are are about a lot of these things where they felt like their um, therapy time was always kind of cut cut into, cut short, or um, the appointments were, were canceled frequently, or they felt like their therapist was judgmental mm. um, or... Um, or maybe critical of, of some of the, the 
stuff that that the person would bring to therapy. Um, or they did give them advice. And they did and they give them like advice. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So much of that, and and so those those are all indicators of of not a good fit for sure. Um, the boundaries piece is a big big piece. Like while this is a relationship that you have with your therapist, like it is still a relationship that needs to maintain. A level of safety so that you feel comfortable enough to talk with your therapist about about whatever's on your mind or in, in your heart and um, and so it's really important that your therapist also has good boundaries about what they decide to share with you about about themselves this this isn't um, while it's a reciprocal relationship and in some ways it's a little it's a little unbalanced because the, the priority of and the focus of the work is you. And so if it starts to feel like, oh, are we are we therapizing each other right now? Or like, I, I know a lot about my therapist and that makes me uncomfortable. I don't wanna know this stuff. That can that can really be damaging to the therapeutic right. relationship. You feel like you need to take care of your therapist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's the, no, absolutely. There's there's certainly an imbalance there, but that imbalance is there on purpose, mm-hmm. and that that purpose is to keep the professionalism there, to to have you understand that this time is for you, um, that it's not for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I guess ultimately, what makes someone a good fit is that you feel really safe and you feel comfortable, and and you feel like you can trust them. Um, that that I think is is important, um, and that takes time like as you said like therapy is kind of weird and awkward because you're like meeting a, a stranger and telling them really really personal stuff and you don't know much about them and so it, it does take time to build safety and trust and comfort um, but that's ultimately what's that's what's really important in determining who a good fit is um, what 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 do you recommend someone do if they're realizing like ooh, i don't think the person i'm seeing is a good fit I would I would first recommend that they talk to the, their therapist about it, mm-hmm. um, and and if having that conversation still leaves you a little unsettled or still uncomfortable, um, then certainly you know seeking out other resources, other therapists, um, starting starting with a new process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you feel comfortable enough to like provide like share about your experience mm-hmm. um even if it's like you're trying to communicate like i'm not really getting what i need from this or i wish you would do more of this or less of this like starting with your therapist first if you if there's safety yeah in doing that and and going from there but yeah it might mean that you are breaking up with your therapist and that's okay mm-hmm. um and it happens like we, we're, we're not a fit for everyone nor should we be right um, and so um, it's okay to break up with us if, if it's not the right fit. Our, our duty, our responsibility is, is for you in getting the, the care that you need and feeling safe and comfortable. And, um, and so your feelings are the ones that really matter in that. Yeah. Well, that's a good place for us to take our water break. And yes. we will be back with more on therapy. All right, we are back. And we're going to talk a little bit about our own experiences in therapy because, spoiler alert, therapists go to therapy too, Mm -hmm. um, in case you were wondering. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, but I 
I'm noticing, like, I'm ha- <laughs> 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 um, It is, it's such a, it, this is a problem in, like, in the mental health world that there is, su- there is such a stigma around therapy and particularly around mental health professionals seeking therapy. But yes, we both have experiences in therapy and, and they're really important for us. Like, it's really important for us to have had those experiences or to be in therapy in order to, well, like continue to thrive as humans, but like particularly to do the work that we do. Right. Right. Absolutely. So no shame in the therapy game. Yeah. (laughs) So what, what has your personal experience been with therapy? Do you go? Have you been? Yes. So currently, well, it's funny because as soon as we started this topic, I was already in search for a new therapist. I had taken a little hiatus for a little while, and and then I was like, you know what, I I really want to go back and um and find a new therapist. And so I, since we actually talked, I think I found someone. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. so funny. It's yeah. exciting. Um, but. Even, even just with that, I'll just say, like, what it's like to find a therapist because it's so hard to find a therapist. It's so hard to look and, um, like, searching on the, searching online and finding somebody that's available, um, but also somebody that you think is going to be the right fit, somebody that maybe takes your insurance and, like, all that, like, fits these certain criteria just to start, um, that I just want to put that out there, that it can be really challenging to just find one. Especially now. Especially now. We're in a mental health crisis. Yes. Do you know, does does the person that you've potentially identified, do they have a waiting list? Like, will you have to wait? I won't. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, a, I did have a couple of other responses that were like, I'm not taking on anybody or mm-hmm. I have a wait list. So, yeah, that's why it was definitely harder. Mm-hmm. Harder than the last time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, hopefully, starting soon. So, what about you? Um, yes, I have been, and I currently am, seeing a therapist. And I, when we talked before about, like, why we became therapists, actually, the reason that I became a therapist is because I had a really terrible first experience in therapy. Um, I, I was kind of, like, going through it as a, like, adolescent and, um, like in high school, and I I remember like begging to go to therapy, and um, and I went to a therapist, and it was horrible. My therapist had terrible boundaries, but I was so naive, and like didn't really know what to expect, and um, and therapy wasn't like widely talked about back then, and and so it wasn't good. I, it wasn't like an experience where I felt really comfortable, and. I remember thinking even then, like as a 16-year-old, like, oh my gosh, like this was so bad. I really, really wanted support and I went and it was so, so terrible. And so like I really, I want to be a therapist so that at least one other person doesn't have this experience. Like, and yeah. uh, and and so that's, I, I found my my job being a therapist by and like a crappy um, therapy experience um, as an adolescent, but but I've you know been. I feel like I feel like it's like dating. Like I, I've I've seen them all. I've seen I've seen um, clinical psychologists. I've seen um, uh, 
licensed professional counselors. I've seen marriage and family therapists. Uh, my current therapist is a clinical social worker, my first one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've gone to therapy at different points in my life. Like, uh, as I'm thinking about it, when I was kind of, like, navigating through different life stages, whether it was at that time in high school or um, uh, when I was in grad school, that was, like, a huge, a huge time when I was getting married. And um, my most, my recent experience, my current experience in, in therapy, I, like, I can't That's even. That's not nice. <laughs> Siri. What could you have possibly said? experience with my current therapist like I couldn't even tell you like what specifically like what specifically brought me to her at that time other than I felt like I was I didn't go in with like a specific set of goals mm-hmm. um but I kind of like knew I just needed some outside support and um and so I like really enjoyed seeing my therapist like each week sometimes more than more than once a week, just talking about having someone who, like, doesn't know me personally, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't know anybody in my life, and can kind of, like, be just a space that I talk about what's going on and how I'm feeling. And, and through our time together, of course, there are things that I'm working on and, like, my own practice that I have to do, but it's just been really helpful to have a place to talk about things without any judgment because I do enough of that on my own. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. That's good. That's good. I mean, yeah, that's, it, it, it is something to be a fan of. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's something to be proud of because, uh, like you said, there, even, even though there's been lots of shifts in the stigma around therapy, it's, it's still working out all of its kinks. And so, um, so I'm happy you shared that because I think it's important for people to know that, of course, we're advocating for it, but we also do it ourselves, which is mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I even recommend to, like, some of our clinicians in training, if they have never been to therapy before or if they're not in therapy currently, it's really helpful to have the experience of knowing what it's like to sit, like, on the other side of the room mm-hmm. because therapy is so hard and it is so vulnerable. And the the role that we have as therapists is so powerful and so meaningful that it, it's you, you, to know to know what it is to be on the receiving end of some of these questions um, or just that experience itself can can really help us be better therapists and so I feel like my, my work in therapy has has certainly positively impacted how I am and who I am in the room actually that's when I started going was mm-hmm. when I was in grad school mm-hmm. and it was so helpful to see to understand what it's like to be on the other side the other seat Mm-hmm. So let's talk some barriers because mm-hmm. we're saying go, but sometimes it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. So barriers. I think first and foremost, cost is is typically a barrier. Um, therapy can be expensive, and I think there is also an assumption or an association that clinicians or therapists don't accept insurance. And um, 
and or that only really, really good therapists don't accept insurance. And so um, I just want to say, like, that's not necessarily the case. There are there are a number of therapists who accept insurance um, and that not all great therapists don't accept insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you said that right. Yeah. yeah. And and cost it can absolutely be a barrier. And and like Amy's saying, you know, there there are lots of therapists take insurance. Um, but sometimes that doesn't mean that you're not gonna be paying something. Um, so understanding that is is helpful. Um, a lot of therapists have sliding scales, a lot of therapists um you know, like are from nonprofits, so there's there's that. There's um, working with an intern that's a possibility, and similar to working with an intern, but also going to any university program. Like when I went to Fairfield, we had a place on campus that people could, uh, people in the community could come to and pay as little as a dollar uh, to come to therapy. Um, so as, as some, it's similar to working with an intern because when you're at a university program you have your therapist but you have so many other people behind that um, that person who's helping them along and so it may be it, it, it's such a it's just such a great opportunity for you to get that much like that much more help um, and that that many more brains on what it is that you're bringing and I, I mean I, I found it to be so special. Um, and then there's always going to groups um, or using EAP programs if you're on a college campus, going to the college counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of options, and they're out there. They're mm-hmm. hard. They're hard to find, which is hard. Right. Um, and there might be a wait in yes. order to, in order to get to some of, to some of these um, uh, lo- like lower cost or more reasonably cost options, but they they do exist. Um, but yeah, I think you had said, um, like insure, like, um, look into your insurance and see what your benefits are. If you, if you have a a job that has a, um, like a benefits person, like talk to them as well, like Mm -hmm. EAP employee assistance program. Um, some, some employers have that where you get like therapy completely covered for, for a, a certain number of sessions. Um, so there are some options to try to take advantage of if you can. Well, and, and then you also make a good point that a barrier might just be the waiting time, mm-hmm. um, that a lot of waiting lists do exist right now. Um, and so um, to that, that also can just be something that's delaying the start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In addition to time, like the time that you have, obviously, um, you, you may be super busy and you're not sure where it can fit in or how you can possibly add another thing to your list, another t- 45 minutes in your day, um, that that can also be uh, something that will keep you from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and there are definitely um, ways to try to solve for that. Like, I, I think telehealth or virtual therapy can be one way that it can just, it can fit into your day if you have the, the space and privacy. Um, and that also like t- time or timing is really important in therapy and, and making sure it can fit in your life in order to you to have the dedicated place and s- mental space um, to, to kind of like do the work is important. Mm-hmm. And then there's just kind of this big question mark around, well, 
I going to be like after I go? Like, what, what could happen to me? Um, you know, you might be going to therapy seeking some sort of change, but then it actually happening is a whole other thing. So that, that fear and that hesitation can just be a barrier in itself. Yes. Yeah. Change is really scary. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability is really scary. And um, that can certainly be like an impediment to, to making that call. Along with, you know, as I alluded to before, like stigma. Like we've come, we've come quite a ways, um, and stigma still exists, and it still exists, like particularly amongst like some cultural groups as well, where um, it's not, it's really frowned upon to kind of talk about personal things outside of your family or outside of a, a particular organization, and so that that's really real. That it that can make seeking therapy feel that much more vulnerable or maybe even unsafe and um because there is this this shame around it or and and, or this misunderstanding of what it is and who it's for really also important to mention that there's a there one one part that might be keeping you from therapy is that you might want a therapist who is like you in some sort of way whether that's your race or gender or ethnicity etc and there's a big lack of diversity in the therapy world um you know we we were when we were talking the other day like the schooling in itself is is expensive and um the demographic of of who becomes a therapist is is really like unilateral Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty narrow Mm -hmm. and and yeah the the kind of cost um, of entry to be a therapist is so high. Like not only are educational programs expensive, they're at least you know a couple of years long. Uh, you have to intern for free, um, which takes up a lot of time, which makes it really hard to like also work and like have income and take care of a family and 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 and. And so um, it's really hard to be a therapist. Um, and so that limits the amount of therapists that are out there. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of barriers as to maybe why somebody hasn't started therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to point some of them out and, and definitely think about some, some ways that some of these things may not be a complete stop sign to you uh, mm-hmm. starting your work if it's something you really want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some hot topics around therapy, some some common questions that a lot of people have. Um, do you want to start it off? Sure. So one thing that we often get asked is, how, how do I know when I need therapy um, or when it's time to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... We, when we were even writing this, like we put need in, in air quotes. Um, it's just that with the way that we see therapy and the way that we understand its value and its helpfulness is that it's not based on a need or a um, specific timing. Like, yes, of course, there are certain times where it might feel a little more right uh, versus other times, but you don't have to have those specific 
needs or specific times because you're not going to therapy to fix your to fix you um, to 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 uh, be, be, like not not to make you good because you're bad. Um, so we just want to highlight that you don't have to have a need, mm -hmm. a specific need, uh, that it can really be anything that brings you in. Yeah, I mean, who can't benefit from right. having like a dedicated space and person that you can talk to about your life and get support and validation? Like who can't benefit from that? Mm -hmm. And um, and sometimes that's that's all therapy is on a particular day, and that is enough. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's not, doesn't necessarily need to be about having this big need. Um, and I think that kind of leads us to the next kind of like question is like, do I only need to go when things are bad? Like, what if I don't have big quote unquote problems? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, like we've been saying, it's this general supportive environment, um, even if you're thinking like, you know, my problems aren't as bad as as his or hers, you know, like that doesn't matter. Um, you know, you don't your comparison of what somebody else is going through is not it is certainly not serving you. It's not helpful for you. It's not um, and 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 it's not a reason for you to to justify or kind of excuse yourself from that opportunity. It, it doesn't have to be something so big or something so traumatic or something like that for you mm -hmm. to for you to do it. Yeah. And then the the next one is how often should I go? Hmm. Well, this is like definitely individualized and based on what you and your therapist um, discuss. However. <laughs> Um, I think I think generally it's good to go consistently. Like if you have a schedule, a regularly scheduled therapy appointment, keep it, um, and kind of discuss the frequency with your therapist based on like what your goals are or what the, the reasons for you seeking therapy. But I think how often to go is is based on um, is based on you. Um, but I think the bottom line is to keep it consistent. And like we typically recommend that, especially at the beginning when you're building a relationship, try to go weekly, we weekly for the first four to six sessions so you can build that relationship and like create some momentum and then and then try to readjust it. If, if you can if you can swing that time wise and financially schedule wise, that that has made for really, really positive um, starts to therapy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Consistency is really really where it's at um and when does it end uh well similarly like that also kind of depends on on you and and your therapist um that ideally in the most ideal sense the ending of therapy should be mutual should be collaborative um it should be something that you and your therapist discuss even at the beginning you know what how will we know when we're done and um, and so ideally it's 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 mutual and it can be at, at for any any given reason whether it's kind of like you've achieved your your goal of, of coming to therapy or you feel like you want to kind of like go it alone and like practice the things that you've you've learned in therapy um, 
like outside of outside of therapy um, it can end for a number of reasons it could also end like we were saying before if, if your therapist doesn't feel like a good fit um, yeah and how about that I mean before it ends it's got to start so um, one I, I asked around from a few people and they thought it was a good question to ask uh, what do you talk about in a first session mm. yes well, I guess what you hope to get out of therapy. That's like, that can be a good place to start. Um, I think like therapists want to know about you. I mean, it is kind of a getting to know you session. So things that you think could be helpful for a therapist to know about you, about your life, about your interests, about your your family, your friends, your supports, um, any experiences or or. Um, emotional feelings that you're having Mm -hmm. could be really good to talk about Um, your therapist will probably have questions that they want to ask you too and so this that's one of those sessions where like you're you're sharing the load um, because your your therapist can prompt you especially in a first session if you're not really sure where to start yeah yeah and and then even noting that you know not everything's going to come out in that first session either so you might be starting therapy and like itching to talk about something and you might not get to it in the first session and you might not get to it in the second so really just giving yourself that patience and that time to um build up that relationship and also you're essentially filling your therapist in so Mm -hmm. like on you and your life so give it that time that that it requires to to get there so group therapy yeah yeah so one thing that we mentioned and when we were talking about cost is that uh one way to help with that is to look for groups um and group therapy is something that uh it's something that we offer here at revive and it's something that is yes it's a way to for other for a lot more people to access therapy it's also a, a great way to um to uh what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> it's also a great way to complement uh the current work that you're doing depending on maybe the specificity of the group um but we, w- we wanted to talk leave a little section here to talk about group therapy in itself because it's it is a, a little bit different than going to your therapist one-on-one or um a- as a couple mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think like similar to therapy in general i think i think group therapy um, has a lot of misconceptions around like what what it is and um, based on like what we've seen in 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 movies and on tv Um, but ultimately group therapy is such a great way to kind of connect with other people um, a way to not feel alone in what you're feeling and what you're experiencing so so many times when when we are having an experience we we feel like it's unique to us and that makes it feel worse and so being in a, in a group with other people that are kind of going going through something similar whether it's a stage of life or an emotional experience or or want to learn something specific like you um it can it can be really like helpful and so validating to know that it's not it's not just you and that you have a support not only of a therapist but of the other people in the group too yeah yeah it's yeah, definitely knowing that you're going through it with somebody and it can it can be really validating and, and supportive. Mm-hmm. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then you get to learn from them. Mm-hmm. You get to learn from each other and uh, not only about their experience, but maybe how they've 
addressed something or tried something and um, it's just a great way for you to to see other other perspectives I mean your your therapist might not like share their opinions or their their personal insights and examples but like your your group um, like peers might and um, and that that can be really cool to kind of like hear about other people's perspectives and and their experiences to again like whether it's feel more connected or or to learn um, from them. I mean, we, we love learning at Revive, and one of the best ways we learn is from one another, and the same is true um, in a group. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then some sort of more tangible, um, like, skills or, or, or activities might be built in to help facilitate the conversation, help facilitate the group, but also to help you practice outside of the group. So those kinds of things are really helpful, too, mm-hmm. if you're really looking for... Um, like I said, kind of like something specific um, that the group might be offering. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think the last piece is kind of a logistical piece, but that's really relevant is that typically the cost of therapy is um, far reduced from like the cost of an, um, like a 45 or, or 60 minute session. So it's, it's pretty cost effective. It's also time limited. And so, I mean, for the most part, it can be time limited, whether it's a six or eight or 12 week group. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it doesn't feel like you're in this like lifelong commitment with this like never ending, when does it end idea. And that, that might feel a little bit more attainable or accessible if you're not really sure where therapy can fit in your life. Um, and um, and at the same time, it could also be, as you said before, like a really good complement to the therapeutic work that that you're doing in therapy. I mean, we're we're currently about to run a stress reduction and mindfulness group at Revive, and like again, who could? This is a really stressful time. Like, what what a great um, complement to your therapy work if if a lot of what you're talking about in therapy is how how stressed you're feeling to also have a place where you're connecting with others around stress and learning skills and like learning from other people too and and feeling less alone in it so it's something that you can do in conjunction and also something that you can do independently from therapy Mm -hmm. yeah so just some general takeaways of the whole whole therapy talk here um that what therapy is therapy is a safe place it's a place for you to gain insights and understand your patterns and your behaviors and your relationships and it's this launching point for where change can happen yes um expect therapy to be a little awkward um especially at first and um and that you'll you you will hopefully feel more comfortable and um and start to feel progress over time um but but be patient it's a process. Yes. <laughs> and then um, there are ways, some ways to overcome some of these barriers that we mentioned in seeking therapy. So if if one of these ba- barriers resonated with you, thinking a little bit more about what what that barrier is and if it's something that you can work with um, in a way or, or plan for or address. Address, yeah. Um, because because they might not be hard stops like like we were saying, mm-hmm. yeah. But there might be workarounds. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then finally, you know, kind of considering therapy as as preventative, um, that you don't need to go to therapy only when things are bad or if you have like a major problem or trauma, th- th- that can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, and that therapy is about um, practicing um, rather than it being a Band-Aid or a quick fix or something like that. It, again, it, it, takes, it takes time and um, and can really help you build a real strong foundation toward resiliency. Well, um, before we get into our self-care menu, I just want to reemphasize that we are holding a group, uh, our Stress Less group. It's, um, it's starting October 25th, and you can sign up in, at the link in the show notes. Six-week um, stress reduction and mindfulness group for adults, and uh, you can, no matter where you live, uh, you can you can access it. It's virtual. So yeah, more more info in the show notes and, and a place to sign up. Yeah. Okay. Self care menu time. Um, to just briefly go over what our self care menu is. Our self care menu is our way of trying to break down self care into some more attainable, um, actionable things. Whereas people might think self care is this big luxurious kind of kind of pampering type of thing we're breaking it down and we're telling you that's not the case um you can do it (laughs) you can do it as small as it is or as medium size as it is or as as big as it is um so we've broken it down into appetizers main courses desserts and three course meals your appetizer is a little more of a bite a little a little taste of something your main course is a little more satiating and sustainable dessert is like a treat and your three course meal is when you need a lot you need lots and lots of care for yourself whether you reached a point of burnout or you're just so stressed out um and you need you need to care for yourself so much um so amy and i are going to ask each other what is on our menu and then we hope that you ask yourselves what you'd like to choose off your menu this week mm-hmm. well do you want to share what's on your menu yes okay so um this was hard this week i don't know why it was a little harder but um i'm thinking about uh well one one thing that i've done and one thing that i plan to do one thing that i've done and i think it's i think it is I don't know. Tell me. Okay. I'll try. <laughs> um, but I got a little creative in my kitchen last night. Um, so I, I guess actually the the main course was my grocery shop over the weekend because it set me up for the whole week. But my, I guess I'll call it more of an appetizer. Last night was the creativity that I got, that I had in, in the kitchen where I really didn't know what to make. As much as I had had done a shop, I was like, Like, I have these leftovers here and these leftovers. I don't want to make something totally new, but I just want to throw some things together and see what happens. And it was actually really good. It was like this left, I had leftover rice. I had leftover, like, like, or I had had a can of beans and I had um, an onion. I don't know. So I just threw a bunch of things together and threw a bunch of spices in it. And it, it was like this coconut milk turmeric rice with, craisins and beans and it was really yummy wow it sounds good yeah just threw a bunch of spices in there it was really good cool so that was my little 
I guess it was an appetizer last mm-hmm. night, mm-hmm. but it was set up by a main course. Yeah. Ooh. So maybe there's something to that. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then my dessert this week is trying different workout classes because mm. I got really tired with my routine. Mm-hmm. So I found this other one, and I'm going to try it out. What kind of workout? It's sculpt workout, so mm-hmm. they're kind of like Pilates. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was doing them on this one app, and then I was kind of bored with it. So then I found this other one, and I started it. It's called Sculpt Society. Have you heard of it? Mm. And I really like it. It sounds like more of a laid-back vibe, but, like, you're still getting in a good workout. Like, I'm pretty sore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some meditations on there, too, which is cool. So I might kind of slip those in somewhere. But, yeah. So, it like, kind of reignited my excitement around the same kind of workout that I like, but, like, in a different way. Mm-hmm. Cool. You'll yeah. have to keep us posted. I will. Okay. What's on yours? Um. Let's see. Well, I I was telling you earlier that I, I have a time audit update. And so if you're new to listening, I did a time audit a couple of weeks ago where I kind of just wanted to see where my time was going because I was feeling like I feel so overwhelmed. I feel like I don't have any time for myself. Like, WTF. <laughs> And so I learned that, um, and I, I think I had I started to learn this when when we spoke about it the first time. But I actually don't have a lot of time in in my day for for myself or or for like um, like more meaningful self care. Like a lot of my day to day is like very micro in terms of staying hydrated, like trying to get outside. But so what I decided to do. Um, I guess in terms of a main course is to really front load my self-care and um, and that has also meant at, like changing up my workout, getting excited about like doing some strength training and um, and so like I have like a solid kind of like self-care routine in the morning where I'm up early, I'm doing a strength workout and then I'm reading, I'm continuing to do that, do a little Spanish and and then I kind of start my day and so knowing that I don't have time for myself really in the day, which kind of sounds sad, but it's true, just a reality. Um, but I, so I've kind of like set myself up for a lot of success by just like really, really leaning into the self-care in the morning. So that's kind of like, I think it's a main course, but it might even yeah. be like more of a three-course meal in a sense that mm-hmm. it's like kind of a, a chunk of self-care um, in a really dedicated way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if, like, you know that you're getting in these little micro things, whether it is just drinking water. Like, I shouldn't shouldn't say just drinking water, but, like, whether it is drinking water or, like, going outside for Mm -hmm. five minutes Mm -hmm. that, like, yeah, those are great and those are important. But, like, you need that. Mm -hmm. You need that bigger chunk, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, and I was getting kind of annoyed with myself because I I was thinking about our goals conversation a a little while back. Like, I I was getting annoyed because I kept saying, like, Ugh, there's no time for myself, no time for myself. And then I thought, like, well, I can do something about this. Mm-hmm. And so I just got tired of, like, breaking this promise to myself around, like, creating more space for myself. And so I I did it. I made a, a shift, and I, I feel good this week, even though, like, my week, my busyness level hasn't changed. But I, I feel more sustained this yeah. week. Yeah. No, that's really awesome. And I think, like, um, you know, as you're saying this, I – I woke up this morning intentionally a little bit earlier because I knew that this day was, like, so long for me today. So I was like, if I don't go outside this morning and just go on a little quick walk, then I'm not going to be able to do it later. And I just want to be able to do this one thing. 
And so I did that, and it was so nice because I just, like, yeah, I, like, woke up a little bit earlier just to do that, and it impacted the whole day, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, I mean, it, like, for us to know that we're doing something for ourselves in and of itself yeah. is, is really meaningful. Um, so that's awesome. What, wait, so you changed your workouts also? I did, yeah, I was kind of like, I, I changed from like one type of strength workout to a little bit more of like a strength slash hit style workout. Mm. And so, yeah, a little bit of a different vibe, like pull, like pokes at like a different like mental muscle and fit, like physical muscles I'm really sore. Um, and so, yeah, I just needed to change, change it up. Cool. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, that is all we have today. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Katherine Van Eyck. Uh, you can find Amy at Amy Alvaro LCSW. You can find Revive on Instagram at ReviveCFW. And our website is ReviveCFW.com. And yeah, well, I, I also just want to add, we have loved hearing your feedback. Yes. Thank you. Um, and, and we've loved hearing what you've loved and also like really appreciate the more like constructive feedback too but keep it coming um if you're listening to us on spotify please you know follow us review us um share it if you think that the episode would be helpful with someone that you know if it resonated with you it might resonate with someone else and um if you are watching us on youtube or watching reactivity tv on youtube subscribe leave us a comment we'd love to we'd love to hear from you um and thank you so much for being here with us this week and every week we are wishing you well bye